0: We're spending some time in 1 John. I'm not in any hurry. I hope that's okay. I hope that you're spending some time in 1 John. It won't take you long to read it, 105 verses, so you can read that quickly. John writes so that we can know. We can know that we are saved and so that we can have assurance of our salvation. I keep saying maybe you didn't grow up that way. Maybe you didn't grow up with assurance. Maybe you don't have assurance right now. Maybe you're wondering right now, I I don't know if I'm saved, if I'm not saved, if I'll be in heaven, not be in heaven. Then you need to read 1 John and stay with us in 1 John because there's some things that we can know, and John said there's some things that we should know as Christians. So throughout this little letter, he reminds us of what we need to know. Let me illustrate today because it's what he's going to do. He's going to say six times, here's why I'm writing here's why I'm writing, here's why I'm writing, here's why I'm writing. He wants to remind us. When our daughter Sydney was in high school running track and cross country, when, when she would get her bag ready in the morning, I, I had a period that I would take some three by five cards and I would just write some motivational stuff, motivational quotes, some power of positive thinking, some scriptures, and I would just put those in her bag. Because I wanted to remind her of who she was I wanted to remind her of the preparation that she had done. I wanted to fill her head with those thoughts. And I think that's why John's writing. So six times he says, here's why I'm writing. So you can find these in chapter 2. Here's the first one. I write to you because... Here's why he's writing. Your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. That's really a foundational truth in Christianity. You, you need to know that. That your sins have been forgiven. A Christian is not a person who's seeking forgiveness. A Christian is not a person who is hoping for forgiveness. A Christian is not a person who's uncertain of forgiveness. Christians should know that they are forgiven. But I know we struggle with that, and John knows we struggle with that. And so John says, that's why I'm writing. That's why I'm writing. I'm writing so that you know that your sins have been forgiven. Think about it. Why do you often struggle with assurance? Because you're not sure if your sins have been forgiven. Why do we often struggle with, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not? Because we're not sure if our sins have been forgiven. We've got sins in the past that we're just not sure that God can forgive. We think God can forgive some of them, but there's something that's hanging on in the past, a skeleton in the closet that you're thinking... I just don't know. I I don't know. There's sins in the present that we're not sure God will forgive. So we struggle, and we doubt, and we wonder. So John says, here's one of the reasons I'm writing. I'm writing so that you will know that your sins have been forgiven. Maybe that's the only thing you need to hear today, is that your sins have been forgiven. Maybe that's the reassurance that you need. Your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. Write that on a 3 by 5 card and put it on your fridge and put it at work and put it wherever you need to see it. My sins have been forgiven. So John says the first thing you need to know is your sins have been forgiven. Whether you're 15 or 50 or 80, if you need that reminder, that's what John wants to tell us. The next reason. Two times he says, I write to you because... You've known Him who's from the beginning, verse 13. Verse 14 says, you've known the Father. Why is that important? He said, I want to remind you that you know God. You know God. Why is that important? Because when you know God, and you know that you have a relationship with God, you know that you're in fellowship with God. He talked about that in chapter 1, because God wants to have fellowship with us. Then when you know those things, it's not a burden to follow God. Because you have a relationship with God. And it's not a burden to keep His commandments. He says, here's why I'm writing. I write to you because you have overcome the evil one. He mentions that two times. You are victorious. When we become Christians, when we become Christ followers, we become victorious. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. Maybe that's the only thing you need to hear today, is that you need to be reminded that you are victorious in Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul writes. He says, sin shall no longer be your master. You've been set free because we're victorious. Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Here's what he writes in Colossians. He says, when you were spiritually dead because of your sins and because you were not free from the power of your sinful self... God made you alive with Christ, and He forgave all our sins. He canceled the debt, which listed all the rules we failed to follow. He took away that record with its rules and nailed it to the cross. God stripped the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority, and with the cross, He won the victory and showed the world that we were powerless. reminds me of the song that we often sing. When the enemy presses in hard, do not fear. The battle belongs to the Lord. Take courage, my friend. Your redemption is near. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory and honor and power and strength to the Lord. John wants us to know, you don't have to live a defeated life. You can live a victorious life. So he says, that's why I'm writing. I'm writing because you need that reminder. Stick that on a three by five card put it on your fridge, put it in your car, put it on your dashboard so that you have that reminder. Here's another reason. He says, I write to you because you are strong. Maybe you don't feel that way. Maybe on a day-to-day basis you feel weak and powerless, even though we need to know that we are strong. John wants us to know that as Christ followers, the The reason we are victorious and the reason we can overcome and the reason that sin has no power over us and the reason that we're able to obey God and the reason we're able to love our brothers is because we've been given strength. We've been given strength. Here's what the psalmist writes. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Ephesians, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Our strength doesn't come from us. Our strength doesn't come from what we do. Our strength comes from the Lord. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling burdened, if you're feeling beat down, if you're feeling exhausted, John says, listen, that's why I'm writing. I'm writing because God has given you strength keeps going i write to you because the word of god lives in you wow i want to remind you that the word of god lives in you here's what paul writes let the word of christ dwell in you richly live in you inhabit in you stay in you take up residence in you here's what the psalmist writes Blessed is the man, happy is the man, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Here's what we read in Timothy. From infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. And all scripture is God-breathed and is useful Spurgeon said, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. So we need to be in the Word of God. Maybe you remember when you read about Jesus, when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit led him out to the desert. And for 40 days he was out in the desert and after 40 days Satan showed up to tempt Jesus. Do you remember how Jesus responded every single time to Satan? With Scripture with Scripture, with Scripture. Maybe that's why the psalmist writes, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So John's writing. He says, listen, I just want to remind you. I want to remind you of your resources. I write to you because your sins have been forgiven. You've known Him. You've overcome. You've known the Father. You're strong. The Word of God dwells in you. And then he gives one command. He gives one command. He says, do not Do not love the world or anything in the world. He's just reminded us of all of our resources. But then he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. So I don't know if you remember last week, he says, I I want you to love your brothers. And this week he's going to say, here's what I don't want you to love. I want you to love your brothers. That's what you should do. And here's what you should avoid. Don't love the world or anything in the world. So he says, don't love the world. You see, the problem is that many Christians try to follow God while embracing the world. Here's what Jesus said. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't do both. You can't serve both. And so John says, a clear choice has to be made. Either we love God and hate the world, or we love the world, and we hate God. You can't do both. You can't mix both. John's fully aware of what the world has to offer. And here's how he identifies the world. He says, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does. Interesting. The cravings of sinful man. Maybe your translation says lust, lust, You know, God created us with certain desires, and there's nothing wrong with those desires as long as those desires don't control us. You can control your cravings, or your cravings can control you. Again, your translation may say lust of the flesh. He talks about lust of His eyes. Anything that our eyes see that becomes overwhelming to us. And then he mentions boasting of what he has and does. He's talking about boasting of ourselves, boasting of what we've done, what we've accomplished, where we've been, where we're going. And in John's mind, believers should have nothing to do with those things. In John's mind, believers should have nothing to do with what the world offers. So he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Here's what James says. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So John says, I want you to have an eternal perspective. The world and its desires, they're going to pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. He wants us to know that what the world offers is temporary. What the world offers will vanish What the world offers is not eternal. Paul puts it this way. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We cannot claim to be a Christian and claim the things of the world. So John says, you need to make a choice. Here's what Jesus says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, here's our dilemma. How do we live in the world without the world living in us? Interesting. I like the translation from the message here and in Romans 12. The love of the world squeezes out our love for the Father. In Romans 12, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Hmm. Or as the song we sing, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Many years ago, the government had an idea to make a dollar in the form of a coin. Maybe you collected this coin, the Susan B. Anthony dollar. Susan B. Anthony, I think this was 77, 79, late 70s, the first woman to appear on a U.S. circulating coin. The Susan B. Anthony that honored women's suffrage. It failed. You want to know why it failed? Because it looked just like a quarter. There's a little bit of difference, very little size difference, but if you went in and threw it down somewhere, they'd think it was a quarter. Because it looked just like a quarter. John wants us to know the reason we struggle many times as Christians is because we look too much like the world. We still have value, but if we look too much like the world, we will fail. And so John says a clear choice must be made. And he tells us in the form of a command, and he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. We shouldn't look like the world. We shouldn't resemble the world. The world shouldn't look anything like us. Or as Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, aliens and strangers in the world. We don't belong here. We don't live here. We shouldn't resemble here. We shouldn't look like here. It's okay to want the things of the world, but it's not okay if we want the things of the world more than we want God. Listen, church, if you have a heart full of God, there's not room for anything else. So John says, do not love the world or anything in the world or anything the world has to offer. And when you do that, you can have assurance. Let's pray.